that on page 148 if you're using one of the red pew Bibles. This morning we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 9. So Deuteronomy 4, 1 through 9. God's word reflects the beauty, the holiness, and the perfection of his own character. We are able to know God because he has revealed himself in his word. Not only does the Bible record God's acts, but it communicates to us who God is. In John 1, verse 18, we are reminded about the transcendence of God. John says, no one has ever seen God. But then he tells us, the only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. So it's, it's no accident that John calls Jesus Christ the Word of God who took on flesh, who gives us light and life. Our God is not silent. The reason we can say anything about God or know anything about God with any authority, with any accuracy, is because God has spoken to us concerning himself. His word has shown into the darkness of our fallen world like the light that comes from a lighthouse beckoning us guiding us directing us and bringing us into safe harbor out of the chaos of our sin so david sings in psalm 119 105 your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path your testimonies are my heritage forever for they are the joy of my heart We cannot separate a true love for God from a love for his word. The light that David loved so much was the light that flowed from God. As as he says in Psalm 36, verses 7 through 9, How precious is your steadfast love, O God! The children of mankind take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast on the abundance of your house, and you give them drink from the river of your delights. For with you is the fountain of life. In your light do we see light. On our passage this morning, we hear Moses calling God's people to gather together to hear God speak. Not, not as he did with their fathers on the slopes of Mount Sinai, but through the proclamation of his holy law. God had called Moses to strengthen and encourage Joshua to lead the people into the promised land he himself was not to go in. And in line with that command, we see that Moses spoke to the people and prepared them for what was laying ahead for them. It's important as we make our way through this passage to remember that Moses said these words to the people of Israel as they were preparing to go in to receive the land God was giving them. The ultimate purpose of this book was not to outline a bunch of arbitrary rules and regulations, though I think oftentimes when we think about the book of Deuteronomy, we can be tempted to view it as such. The ultimate purpose of this book, which Moses speaks to here in his introduction to the law, was to equip Israel to live and to thrive in the light of God's glory, in the place of his presence, all while enjoying the benefits of his mercy and grace. That's what the book of Deuteronomy was designed for, to equip God's people to live. 
This passage sets a tone for us in how to read and understand the rest of this book the right way. The way that David understood and sang about it. The way that Jesus taught and commended it to us. The purpose of this book was to equip God's people to live and thrive in the gracious covenant of God's mercy. And so there are many critical lessons for us to take for ourselves from this passage, which equip us to live and to thrive in the light of God's word. So with that in place, let's begin this morning by reading our passage together. If you will, please stand with me out of respect for God's word as I read from Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 1 through 9. This is the word of the Lord. And now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and the rules that I am teaching you, and do them, that you may live. And go in and take possession of the land that the Lord, the God of your fathers, is giving you. You shall not add to the word that I command you, nor take from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you. Your eyes have seen what the Lord did at Baal Peor. For the Lord your God destroyed from among you all the men who followed the Baal of Peor. But you who held fast to the Lord your God are all alive today. See, I have taught you statutes and rules, as the Lord my God commanded me, that you should do them in the land that you were entering to take possession of it. Keep them and do them. For that will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples who, when they hear all these statutes, will say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us whenever we call upon him? And what great nation is there that has statutes and rules so righteous as all this law that I set before you today. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God for it. Please be seated. Well, in this passage, we gain a better understanding of the purpose of the law, the role of the law, and the calling of the law. We see, as Paul says to Timothy, that the law is good. It's not that oppressive giant meant to hold us down that I think gets mischaracterized to be sometimes. The end goal of the law is life, and it is light. It exposes us to God and his holiness. It was given to direct God's people in how to live as his holy people. And ultimately, the law we see was, was intended to serve as a guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith, which is what we read in Galatians 3, 24. As we break down what Moses said to the people of Israel as he gathered them around and began to teach them, we see that the purpose of the law was to guide the people in the way of life with God as they received the benefits of his covenant promise. If Israel was going to thrive in the land that God was giving to them, they would have to dedicate themselves to living in accordance with his direction and his command. So the main idea that I want you to see from this passage is simply this, that the purpose of the law is life. The purpose of God's law is life. As we study what Moses has to say in this passage, there are three points that stand out about the law 
and about its purpose for God's people, which are instructive for us in understanding why God gives us his commands. We see that God gives his word, he gives his commands, first, to guide his people in the ways of life. He's given it as a guide to guide us in the ways of life. Second, we see that he gave it to distinguish his people from among the nations of the world. And finally, we see that God gave his commands to manifest the great glory of who he is. He gave it to manifest the great glory of who he is. So first, let's look at how God gave the law, gave his word, how he guides his people in the ways of life with his word. As we come to chapter 4, there's this really notable shift that happens in the way the book is being written. For the past three chapters, we have taken a deep dive into the history of everything that happened from Kadesh Barnea up to this point uh, where the people are ready to go into the land of Canaan. Moses is shifting to now from, from recounting the history of how they got here to, sh- to, to teach the people specifically about the law. Uh, Chapter 4, as we look at it, is sort of an introduction to the law and to its commands. It's making sure that we approach it in the right way. This is where Moses makes sure that we have a right understanding of why he's doing this. And as we read what he says to the people, we realize that his primary purpose in this was to make sure to set Israel on the right course as they were making this transition from, from the land outside of the on the east side of the Jordan River, now into the promised land under the leadership of Joshua. As we talked about last week, God did not allow Moses himself to enter the land. He allowed him to see it, but not to enjoy it. His last task in his service on earth was to strengthen and encourage his assistant, Joshua, to take up his mantle and to lead the people in and to make them inherit the land that God had set apart for them. Part of that task, I think, is what Moses is doing here, preparing the people for this transition by reminding them and teaching them about the law. Now, Moses undertook to explain the law to the people and to to do everything he could to ensure that the people were going to walk in the commands and the statutes that God had given them. As we look at what Moses says to the people about what he's teaching and about why he's teaching them, it becomes very clear that his goal was not simply to refresh people's memories with a proper understanding of the law, but really that his ultimate goal was, was to get a right response from them to the law. Moses wanted to see the nation live and thrive in this new land which they were receiving. And he knew that was only possible if they lived according to the God's statutes and God's rules as were outlined and described in the law which he'd given them. So Moses isn't just trying to educate people here. He's doing everything he can to move them to obedience so that they can live and thrive with God as his holy people. Moses gives a lot of commands, even here in these first opening verses. Uh, By my count, he gives six in verses one and two alone. And then that grows to eight by the time we get to verse six. Listen to the statutes And the rules that I am teaching you, he says, do them. Go in, take possession of the land. Do not add to the word. Do not take away from it. That's just in verses 1 and 2. In verse 6, he says, keep them, do them. That's eight commands in six verses. 
Now, as he outlines these commands, we see that Moses also outlines four sets of results of what will happen if Israel listens to them, if they keep the commandments of the Lord. He says this. He says, you will live. You will keep the commandments of the Lord. People will commend your wisdom. And finally, he shows that they will see the glory of God. So, as we're looking at this, there's a clear cause and effect being outlined by Moses here, which is then intended to instruct and to motivate God's people in how to rightly respond to his word. The main thing that I want to bring to your attention in our first point this morning is the way that Moses connects God's word to our life. That's the blessing or the result that Moses says will come on Israel if they listen to and carry out the statutes and the rules that he's teaching them. Now, we don't always connect the law of God to the life of God because we know from the scriptures like Romans 3.23 that we are not capable of living up to the standard of the law. We know that the law cannot make us righteous. It can only decide whether or not we are righteous. And we know that we fall short of that. The, the law looks at us in our actions and in our hearts, and it condemns us because we have all fall, sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So it's tempting to look at the law of God as an enemy, when really we see here it is meant to be our friend, pointing us away from the futility of our own efforts to the all-sufficient work of Christ on our behalf. The law of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ are both equally the word of God. The law has its purpose in preparing the way uh, to life which we have in Christ. Paul makes this very clear in Galatians 3.21 when he asks, Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. God's law and God's grace work together to empty us of, all of ourselves, to empty us of boasting in anything we should do, so that the promise of faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. The, the thing we need to notice about what Moses says to the people regarding the rules of the law is that the purpose of these commands is life in the light of God. These rules and these statutes were intended to instruct the people in how they were supposed to live before God in the benefits of his covenant with them. You can see that in the way that Moses talks about living and going into the land and taking possession of it as, as God gave them everything he had promised to them and to their forefathers. You can see that in the way that Moses speaks to the people, reminding them of what had happened at Baal Peor, where those who had broken faith with God and pursued other gods and committed shameless acts with the Moabite women who came into the camp, how they had died. What those who held fast to the Lord and held fast to his word, they were spared. So there's an option here. There's obey and live or disobey and die. The goal of the law was life for God's people. Moses' instruction on the law 
was meant to clarify the law for people and then to put them on a path of obedience to God's word so that they could live with God as his holy people. Everything that Moses has to say to the people here is is oriented about responding rightly, faithfully to God's word. Listen, Listen to these instructions that Moses gives here. First, he says, listen to the statutes and the rules that I'm teaching you. Listening here obviously means more than, than just hearing. It means to take, it means this idea of, of, care, of treasuring God's word, of taking it in, of savoring it, of knowing it, of, of banking your life on it. This is the sort of listening that leads to the next command, which is do them. So it's hear the word, but it's also do the word. Put these words into action. Act in your life on them. Hinge your life on these things. Live in obedience to God's word. The result we see of listening to God's word and doing God's word, Moses says, is life. Notice how he says, that you may live. So are you seeing this theme of life in God's word here? It's God's word leading God's people on the path of life. God's word is meant to go before us in the way of life. It it guards us from sin and therefore from sin's consequences. It leads us to a God who is gracious and compassionate, who has mercy and love on us even though we don't deserve it. Now, Moses continues in his commands. He tells the people, go in and take possession of the land. Now, I'm counting that as two different commands, uh, but they both have to do with with what Israel was supposed to do in regards to the blessing of the promised land. They didn't just go in and just receive it. They had to actually go in and believe God, and they had to fight for it. We, We saw that as we made our way through the book of Joshua. This is that moment where the parents of these people had failed. They had refused to go in and take the land. So now Moses is telling these people to to listen to God's word, to do God's word, but also to act on God's word, to act in faith, not only to enter the land, but to go up against these other nations in faith that God was going to deliver them and bring them into his rest. And Moses continues, he, he warns the people not to add to the word which he had commanded. He also warns them not to take away from this word. Uh, this was a command to guard the integrity of God's word. The Bible is not something that we're called to pick and choose from when it suits us. It is God's word. It is truth. And while the truth is not always convenient, in fact, while the truth is oftentimes painful for us, Moses warns Israel and warns us by extension not to try and conform the truth to ourselves. Instead, he sets a statute here that we are to be conformed to that truth. The land of Canaan was a rich blessing that God gave to Israel as part of his covenant with them. It was a blessing not only because it was a good land, but ultimately because this was the place of God's choosing where he made his presence dwell with these people, where he set Israel up before the nations of the world to bless them and to make them a blessing. If Israel was going to dwell there in this land, they were going to have to live there on the terms that God gave them. You, You would not come into the court of a king 
on your own terms, and you certainly cannot come into the presence of holy God on your own terms. The Word of God is meant to show us the path of life. God gave these rules to the people to make them thrive in His presence. Like a lighthouse shining into the sea, guiding ships into safe harbor, warning them of the rocks that lie concealed and ready to wreck any ship that will not take heed, so God's Word shines out to God's people. And it shone out to Israel and was intended to shine out in this land, reflecting the light of God's glory out into the world. It continues to do that in God's people even today. As we look at these commands from Moses, we need to see how essential God's Word is for us. These words were originally uttered to Israel, but they continue to instruct us today. The covenant of grace that we have in Christ does not nullify God's, the command of God's word over our lives. In Matthew 5, verses 14 through 17, Jesus says, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets, Jesus says. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Jesus sets a high precedence for his people that we are called to be a people of the world, of the word, of God's word, and that light is then intended to shine from us onto others so that they may see the glory of God. In the covenant with God that we have in Christ, the law of God becomes written on our hearts. It becomes animated by the work of the Holy Spirit who we receive through Christ. God has made us alive in the life of Christ. So therefore, let us seek to put faith into practice, first and foremost by walking in this path of life, listening to God's word, doing it, living in the benefits of his grace, and doing so so that the world may see and know the beauty of his glory. And that brings us to our second point of what God's word does. The word of God distinguishes God's people from the world. Now Moses warned the people not to add to or to take away from the word which he commanded them. Now it's strange to think that anyone would add to God's commands, but we don't have to look very far to find examples of this. The Pharisees of Jesus' day had a reputation for being zealous for the law. Part of the reason they had that reputation is because they had added all sorts of extra traditions and rules and interpretations that were meant to guard people from breaking the law, but then they ended up treating them and teaching them as the law. They, they looked good on the outside for all their zeal, but for what they did, Jesus calls them blind guides, whitewashed tombs, and children of hell because they added all sorts of burdens to people and because they shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. They trusted in themselves, not in God. And though they said they loved Moses, Jesus shows that they actually despised the one that Moses spoke about, which was himself. 
They rejected the one that Moses said was coming. coming. Now, the Sadducees, on the other hand, had a reputation really of taking away from God's law. They rejected the spiritual realm. They, tu- they turned uh, worship into something that was really man-centered. Uh, they denied God's law, and they, they, they turned true religion into uh, just mo- nothing more than a form of it, which glorified them in the end. So Moses here warned the people not to add to God. God's word and not to take away from it because he knew if they did either of those, it would have been impossible for them to keep the commandments of God. We cannot choose to obey God in one thing and then reject him in something else. We cannot think that we are being obedient to God when we live up to some standard we have set for ourselves and we fail to live up to the standard which he has set up for us. In verses 5 and 6, Moses says, See, I have taught you statutes and rules as the Lord my God commanded me. So these words weren't Moses's. They were God's. To reject them was to reject what he had said. Instead, Moses tells the people, Keep them and do them, for that will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples who, when they hear all these statutes, will say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. Moses shows that God's commands have an impact on his people, an effect that distinguishes them and sets them apart. Now, as we'll see in a moment, Moses' concern was not that Israel have a name for itself in the world, but that he was concerned about the way Israel, he was concerned with the way Israel was called to stand out. They had been called by God himself. God had called them out of enslavement. He had set them apart. He had made them his holy people. He had had made himself their God. And one time I was flying uh, in a plane over Chicago at night, and as we were, the skies uh, were, were remarkably clear. And I remember being just amazed at the brilliance of the city. I could see Chicago from one end to the other. You could see where the lights faded out and where they began. You could see where Lake Michigan was with that curve. It was really incredible. I remember being amazed at thinking about how, as I looked at all those little pinpricks of life, of light that were coming up. Each one of those things represented individual homes and individual buildings and families. And it was amazing to see how everything was functioning together. It was incredible to look down and see the design that was in place. That left an impression. When God first called Abraham, he told him that he was going to bless him and that he was going to make him a blessing to all the nations, all the families of the world. He promised Abraham that those who blessed him, he would bless. But those who cursed him, he would curse. So as God speaks to the people of Israel here through Moses, you can see the reflection of that promise happening. You're starting to see the the design of God's plan moving towards Christ, who is the offspring of the blessing that God had spoken to Abraham about. Moses says to the people, keep and do these words that I've communicated to you. Because as you do, the whole world is going to look at you and it's going to see the beauty of God's design and the wisdom of God. How God has set you on a path of life to prosper you 
and to keep you and to guard you as his holy people and to see and savor the blessing of his purposes. The word of God is like that light, those little pinpricks of light shining up from God's people. So you see a bigger plan and a bigger purpose. It makes his people stand out because his word is unlike anything else. God's goal for Israel was to set them up like a city on a hill, just as he did in the days of King Solomon, beckoning the nations to come and to seek and to savor the glory of God for themselves. Israel had been set apart to be a display case for the wisdom of God. But Moses gives them these instructions because he knew they could only do that if they kept these commands And they did as Moses and instructed them when he delivered God's word to them. The law of God separated Israel from the nations that were around them. But this separation wasn't about making much of them so much. It was was all about distinguishing them as holy unto God. The rules and the statutes in this law were right. God had not redeemed his people from slavery just to let them go and live how they pleased, plunging themselves into slavery to sin. He had redeemed them to make them his own, to make them thrive, to make them free, to make them a testament to his mercy and his grace, to walk with them in his holiness. The law outlines commands and prohibitions which were aimed at two priorities— to love the Lord with all that you are and to love your neighbor as yourself. That is true wisdom. And Moses says that it was intended to make Israel stand out, to shine out into the nations, to be that lighthouse. In the New Testament, we see that those same two priorities of loving God with your mind and with your heart and with your soul, with all of your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself, that those two priorities continue to reign over the church as well. This is God's priority for his people, and it distinguishes us from the world that is around us. The question we have to ask of the church today, and and more personally, which we must ask of ourselves, is whether or not we are actually living by the commands of Christ, whether or not we are following his lead. Has the salt lost its saltiness? May it never be. Let us listen to the words of Moses here. Let us dedicate ourselves to the word of God so that the wisdom of God may be visible in us as we proclaim the light of this gospel to others. That brings us to our third point this morning. God's commands manifest the glory of who he is. So we see that God's word guides us in the paths of life. They set us apart as his people, but they also ultimately manifest the glory of who he is. In verses 7 and 8, Moses gets at the heart of what really set Israel apart from the nations around it. If you took the law of Moses, you would find a lot of similarities to some of the nations that were around Israel. It wasn't the law itself or the commandments in the law per se that were making Israel set apart. The thing that set Israel apart is this. For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us whenever we call upon him? 
And what great nation is there that has statutes and rules so righteous as all this law that I have set before you today? The story of Israel, the the story of how God redeemed them, set them apart, delivered them from every threat, brought them up out of Egypt, made his covenant with them, brought them in spite of their sin to this dwelling place, redeemed them time after time after time, established them, disciplined them, restored them, blessed them, and worked in them to bring salvation from them through Christ. That's all God's doing. Every single bit of it. Israel at this point is not what you might call a great nation. At this point, there's still a bunch of people without a home who are wandering around in the wilderness. The thing that made them great was their God who worked for them, who was near to them, who was listening and and quick to hear them when they called on him. That is something better than all the accomplishments of any nation ever. The pyramids of Giza, nothing. The Babylonian guardians, what is that? Israel's God was with them. And that is bigger than anything we might do. God made them great. He made them great because he had called them to himself and set them apart. Everything that Moses speaks of here, which sets the nation apart from its neighbors, all of it was from God. He was the one who gave them these rules and these statutes to guard and to guide them in the path of life. He is the one who was at work to prosper them and to defend them from every enemy. God is the one who was working in the weak, the foolish, and the have-nots to accomplish greater things than anyone could have ever imagined. Moses is in awe here as he speaks to the people, and so should we. God could have chosen anyone else, but he chose Israel. As we hear Moses' words here, I I hear echoes of what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1, verses 26-31, where he writes to the church, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of Him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Just as the wisdom and the power and the glory of God were evident to Moses as he looked out on the faces of the men and the women who stood there, And as he spoke to them about God's gracious commands and his holy and righteous law, so that same wisdom and power and glory is evident to me as I look out on all of your faces. You have been redeemed by the grace and the power of our Lord Jesus Christ. He has accomplished what we could not 
He has satisfied the demands of the law, which as we read and think to ourselves, we would fail. He is the one who kept that. And he freely gives us his righteousness, which we receive by faith, and we are justified, therefore, in the sight of God on account of. Oh, brothers and sisters, let that always amaze you. As you go throughout the rest of your day and the rest of your week, let this be nailed at the threshold of the door of your mind so that you are always viewing the world in the glory of God's grace. Let that be our boast. Let our hearts be filled with praise as we sing with the psalmist. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name be glory. For the steadfast, for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. The word of the Lord is light and it is life to us. It is life to us because not only does God reveal himself to us in his word, but he has redeemed us and he has saved us through Jesus Christ, who is the word of God. In his life, we have life. And in his light, we have light. May God give us grace to live as a people of his word. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the way that you gave your law to be a source of life. Even though Israel failed to keep it, even though they failed and fell short of it, Father, you not only gave the law, but you fulfilled it by sending your Son, whose active obedience counts for us because we have been joined by faith to him. We have been joined to his death. We have been joined to his life. And Father, this morning, I want to pray that you would bring that same life and light into our own sleepy souls, that your word would plant itself deep in us and that it would bear the fruit of obedience and that, the, the, that, that, that it would shine with the life and the light of Christ so that the world around us would see and know he is king. And that as we do that, Father, I pray that you would satisfy ourselves and that we would satisfy ourselves in you and that your spirit would work in us to make all these things a reality. We thank you, Father, for your word. We ask for grace to follow you and we trust you in that. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.